This is the What Now Podcast. During the creation, the Savior created beautiful things and pulled scriptures from the New Testament where Christ referred to lilies and to flowers and to things that, that are beautiful and delicate and feminine and how these qualities that we esteem the Savior, such as compassion and accommodation and like a spiritual intimacy, were all qualities that I had and that I shouldn't be ashamed of those. And that was a real turning point for me where I started to realize that my personality was nothing to be ashamed of and that femininity is divine and beautiful. And as I tap into the most authentic parts of myself, that's when I can feel Christ's love the most. This is the What Now podcast, where we discuss cultural topics related to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in a respectful and honest way in an effort to uplift, inspire, and create positive change. I am Mary Alice Hatch, your host. Today, I will be speaking with famed BYU mascot, Charlie Bird, about his journey with being gay and our church culture. Charlie shares powerful insights from his recent book, Without the Mask, about how he mustered the courage to reveal his true identity and leave a life of fear and embrace the reality of his sexual orientation. Charlie shares how our personality characteristics shouldn't be defined as masculine or feminine, but by whether or not they are Christ-like. Charlie also shares tips on how to break negative cycles and how to build a safe and trusted circle of friends in and out of the gay community. Charlie breaks through the stereotypes in an effort to thwart ignorance and create more acceptance and a safe space for gay members of our church community. Today, I'm here with Charlie Bird. Welcome. Hello. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. We're so happy to have you join us today. Let's just start off by having a little introduction about yourself, kind of where you're from, and a couple of fun things about you so listeners can get to know you a bit better. Yeah, of course. My name's Charlie. I'm from Southwest Missouri, from a, a little small farming town, and I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ, served a mission in Redlands, California. It's been a while now. I feel like it was recent, but it's probably been about eight years ago. I did my undergrad at Brigham Young University, where I was Cosmo, the mascot. You might have seen me dancing in a few videos with the Cougarettes, the dance team there. Yes, it's my favorite thing ever. <laughs> Thank you. Since then, I have come out as gay, and I recently just published a book with Deseret Book called Without the Mask, Coming Out and Coming Into God's Light. And I also have a podcast called Questions from the Closet that kind of tackles some of the more difficult, complex issues surrounding the intersection of faith and sexuality. Terrific. Well, thank you. That's a perfect intro into my first question. <laughs> so let's jump right in. So how is being gay more than just your sexuality? Yeah, this is actually something I've thought a lot about. I think growing up, honestly, in greater church culture, being gay is directly equated to sex and sexual activity. And honestly, that's kind of the way I was raised. So that's kind of the way I viewed myself that there was like this horrible thing inside of me that needed to be thwarted and shut down. And as I was doing that, I was never able to realize all the beautiful, helpful things that, that come from my identity. And so my sexual orientation has really influenced my positionality in the world and the way I interact with others, especially women, I think, and kind of like put me in this place in society that's it's allowed me to grow. And I think there's so much more than just sex. I'm currently in full fellowship in the church. I hold a temple recommend, and so I'm not sexually active. That kind of feels weird to say, but I think that's almost kind of the issue. That when someone comes out as gay, people assume that they're sexually active or that there's some sort of immorality there. But for me, being gay encompasses so much more. How I view the world, my connection with beauty, and my relationships, and even the way I interact with my heavenly parents and have come to know Jesus Christ is so centered in this identity 
And it feels very reductive to me when people equate that directly with sex, because while sexuality is a part of orientation, there's so much more. Even within romantic attraction, there is, I mean, it's not just sexual. There's spiritual attraction and like personality and companionship and like so many elements of being romantically attracted to someone that I think we honor when it comes to a heterosexual relationship. But with an LGBTQ person, we kind of like reduce that just to sex because it's what most people are most uncomfortable with. And so I think it's really important to realize that if someone comes out as gay, that's a lot more and so much deeper than just like a transactional idea of sex. I'm so glad you said that because that is a common misperception that people have. They naturally equate gay with sexuality. That's true. And there's so much more to it than that. And I mean, I hesitate to promote stereotypes, but so many of the most creative, like forward thinking, beautiful people in our society identify as LGBTQ. And that has nothing to do with sexual preference. You know, there's something deeper there. Mm -hmm. And I like in your book, you say my sexuality isn't something that happened to me. It's part of me. Yeah. And I think that kind of leads into the misconception that, that being gay is a choice or some sort of like defect. I really don't believe that's true. And actually, when I was living under that assumption, I was really sad. I really didn't like myself. And until I realized that this is part of my identity, part of my, I would even say my spiritual makeup, it's it's part of the way I was created. And as I honor that and respect that, I've been able to see ways that it's actually a real blessing and helps connect with people and move forward. Yeah. I mean, you know, many people have this misconception about gay people, which you talk about in your book, where they're put in this negative category with pedophiles and other outcast groups in our society. So why do you think people group gays in this negative category? It just seems ridiculous. Yeah, I think that has a lot of historical connotations. And I think sometimes if people are unfamiliar with something, it's seen as scary or deviant, if it kind of goes against the grain. And Back in like the 40s, 50s, 60s, there was a lot of misconceptions and it was kind of like grouped there that it was some sort of like slippery slope that first you're gay and then it just like goes down from there. And even that kind of goes into this idea that you can become gay or it's like exposure to gay people makes you gay and looks at it from like a deviant perspective. And as a gay person, I can tell you that I don't believe that at all. It's actually it's actually kind of offensive. And it's not contagious. It's not like some people get so worried, oh my gosh, if I'm around them, then maybe my son will be gay if he hangs out with someone who's gay. And I remember interviewing Tom Christofferson. He just said, I've spent a lot of time with straight people and I have no desire to be straight. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So it kind of goes both ways. Yeah. And I think it'd be really healthy for people to just understand that this is not something that happened to people. It's just something that is. And it's actually pretty common natural occurrence within the human race. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's not really a bad thing. Well, I love the insights your older sister Janine shared with you when she found you kind of hiding in that extra room at church. And you just, you can talk a little bit about that kind of where you didn't feel like you fit in and you were kind of hiding out a little bit and she found you. And I love how she compared your many positive characteristics with Christ and how your behaviors and characteristics shouldn't be defined as masculine or feminine, but by whether or not they're Christ-like. Can you share how her words kind of helped to change your perspective that day? Yeah, of course. I think like growing up gay in a a pretty conservative religion and and also in like farm town, Missouri, I was always very aware of gender roles and gender stereotypes and all the ways that I didn't fit those. And honestly, a lot of them are probably are just my personality and don't really have anything to do with my orientation at all. 
But some of the things I'm drawn towards are more artistic and, and more stereotypically feminine, according to today's standards. And so there was a time when I felt conflicted about going to young men's like classes at church because I didn't feel like I was a real man. And I didn't really feel like I fit in with other people. And I had become so accustomed to changing myself or hiding what I liked or the way I spoke or the way I sat because I was afraid that it wasn't masculine enough, wasn't good enough. And yeah, I stopped going. I started hiding in this little spare room in the church building <laughs> until one day my sister stalked me. She tracked me down, as older sisters often do. <laughs> she hunted you down. We had to make sure everything was in check. And we had this really beautiful conversation where she taught me, actually, the words she used were Jesus made flowers. And she talked about how during the creation, the Savior created beautiful things and pulled scriptures from the New Testament where Christ referred to lilies and to flowers and to things that, that are beautiful and delicate and feminine and how these qualities that we esteem the Savior, such as compassion and accommodation and like a spiritual intimacy, were all qualities that I had and that I shouldn't be ashamed of those. And that was a real turning point for me where I started to realize that my personality was nothing to be ashamed of and that femininity is divine and beautiful. And as I tap into the most authentic parts of myself, that's when I can feel Christ's love the most. Mm, I love that. Janine is pretty mature. I'm thinking she was probably in high school at this time. Is that right? So I probably was 16 or 17. She would have been like 20 or 21. Because this is a pretty mature insight she had. I mean, she's not like, it's going to be okay. And we love you. I mean, she was saying Jesus is creative. And he has a sincere love of beauty and affinity for design like you, Charlie, you know? All these things that you're embarrassed of, they make you more like Jesus. What a profound statement and mature statement for her to identify those specific things and coordinate it with you. I just thought, whoa, she must have been really led by the Spirit to say that because it's a pretty profound thing. I'm going to quote her from your book because it's so beautiful. Being a real man is about how you use your time and talents to serve others. Define your characteristic traits by whether or not they are Christ like. And she's just, really in tune there. I think you're totally right. You know, Christ was sensitive. He was thoughtful. He was helpful. He created beautiful things. He was a man of creativity. And we don't need to hide that because so eloquently reinforce that those are Christ-like characteristics. She's pretty good, huh? <laughs> She's really good. <laughs> I, after I was approached to and asked to write this book, one of the first things I thought of was this experience and I knew I needed to include it. And the way that chapter unfolded was just really beautiful. And, and I felt very inspired as I was writing it. And I told her, I said, Janine, this is the takeaway. This is one of the most important reasons that I wrote this book. And like, you're going to help so many people. And she's like, oh, it's just no, <laughs> you know, she made slight of it. But it's been so interesting to see and read reviews and see the messages where this specific chapter in that part of the book where she said the words Jesus made flowers has been one of the biggest takeaways. And it kind of breaks down those societal barriers that we put ourselves in. And I think like even beyond being gay, that's something that all of us can kind of connect to that as we try to put ourselves in a box in order to just assimilate to something that maybe isn't really our whole selves, then that makes us feel a little bit trapped. As we can live more authentically, then that's when we can really connect with the Savior and be an instrument. And that is the key right there, to live authentically. And I think that's really intimidating for a lot of people when it doesn't fit into the box in a certain culture. In the book, you talked about this sacred experience that you had in the Washington, D.C. temple where you truly felt God's love. And how has that moment kind of helped you stay true to yourself and to your faith? Yeah, this moment was really the first time I ever really prayed 
without the restrictions I'd always put on myself. And without this like filter of that who I was, was upsetting or disappointing to God. And so it's interesting. I feel like there's like, there's so much cognitive dissonance that I experienced trying to reconcile my faith and orientation and understand myself growing up. And one of the major themes was that I loved God and felt that he loved me. But at the same time, there was this like undercurrent of I will never be enough and I am damned. I always felt that. And all of my prayers were focused on changing my orientation and trying to be different. And this one specific day in the DC temple, I, I switched up the way I prayed. And I kinda, honestly, I kind of got mad. <laughs> I was angry. I was frustrated. I was very emotional. And I was like, look, if this isn't going to change, then tell me why. Why is this not changing? And, and what am I supposed to do with this? Like, should I just lean into it? Should I accept it? Like, God, what do you want? And as I did that, and kind of like, it was almost like my first real exercise in agency, because I wasn't choosing between A and B. I was making choice. I was seeking like inspiration, not based on like a, should I do this or should I do that? But based on like a, who am I and where do you need me? As I did that, I had this really overwhelming, powerful experience where I truly felt that I had been created intentionally and that who I was was not sick or wrong, but that God needed me to be myself and to reach others and connect in a way that only a gay person can. And that as each of us do that, and connect as ourselves, not trying to be somebody else, that's when Zion is built. And that's when we create a people of one heart and one mind. Beautifully said. It's interesting because a lot of times when people feel these tendencies and they identify as gay, then they feel like they need to leave the church. And there have been some quotes that have been a little scathing about people who are gay. And in your book, you share a powerful story about kind of this list of quotes that you had from church leaders and what they said about gays, which pulled you into this kind of dark and negative place. And then you made this important decision that day. Would you like to share a little bit about that with us and how you were able to change your focus and stop that negative cycle you were in? Yeah, I think if you're looking for ways you don't fit in, you will find them. That's something I've learned. And as a gay member of the Church of Jesus Christ, there's a lot of ways that I don't fit in. And historically, I have been actively pushed away. And that's really hard. It, I don't know if I'll ever be comfortable with that. But I got to a point a few years ago where I was focusing so much on that, that it was just making me bitter. And I was almost projecting rejection in that I was assuming that, I mean, some of these quotes were like 50, 60 years old, and the tone has changed and things are a little bit brighter and more hopeful now. But I was so aware that like, that's the church that people around me and my church leaders had grown up in. And those were the messaging that I had received. But as I held on to that, it was almost like I expected people to hate me. And it made me angry and bitter and just the feelings associated with putting myself in those positions to almost like actively be hurt by something that someone said a long time ago was really damaging to me. And I was keeping this whole like list on my phone, kind of like a compilation of all the bad things so I could prove to someone how hard it was to be me. And honestly, it's true. It was hard and it is. But I realized that I was like, why am I doing this? Like, why am I trying to make it harder for myself? Why am I focusing on negativity and misconception and miscommunication and misinformation when I could be growing and when I could be building? And so I ended up deleting that list kind of with the nudge of a friend after doing that, I was really able to start healing from that and exercise more forgiveness. 
Yeah, that's really true because I mean, where our focus is, is where our energy is, and then our mindset gets there and it just gets into this negative cycle. And I love that you deleted that so you could shift the cycle, right? Like you're going to be intentional about what you allow yourself to think about. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think I can ever excuse those things. And, and I really don't know why they were said. And I mean, there's still discomfort there. But at the same time, I don't want that to be it. I don't want that to be the end. Like there's so much more. And as I was focusing on that, that was where I was stopping. Yeah. I mean, how have you seen the Lord's hand in your life allowing you to heal and to embrace your true identity? I remember you were talking about going to the Marriott Center on one of those Tuesday devotionals. And here's Elder Ballard. And do you want to tell us about that? Yeah. So there's there's often like young single adult devotionals and like question and answer sessions that general authorities do. And I always submit the same question or a variation of like, what advice do you have for someone like me? What can you give us? Because there's nothing. And like, almost like, just please know that I'm here. Please know that people like me are here and, and we're scraping for something. And I honestly kind of gotten used to being disappointed because nobody ever really, it's a charged topic and it's not like, so I was just like, you know, whatever, I'll keep submitting these, but nothing will ever be said. Elder Ballard came to BYU and had a Q&A and I submitted my question and I'm sure others did too. And he addressed it for the first time and he did it in a way that was so insightful and beautiful and almost like humble, almost repentant. And he like gave a charge to the membership of the church and the youth to listen and try to understand what LGBT brothers and sisters are going through and kind of like carve out the space in the church that historically hasn't been there to where gay people can hold on to their testimonies and feel included and part like like a real Latter-day Saint. And that was kind of like, this was right after I had deleted those quotes. And that was kind of like also another shifting point where I was like, leadership sees me. They at least they're starting to understand. And it was kind of like the gear started shifting and started moving in a positive way that I was able to really see firsthand. And that was a really beautiful moment for me. Yeah. I mean, it's super validating, right? That your question got picked by one of the 12 apostles and that he answered it, not in like a skirting around the topic way, but directly giving a charge to the church to be more thoughtful about this topic. Yeah. And even the language he used was very validating too. I think for so long, people try to, like you said, skirt around the topic and, and push it away and say things like experiencing feelings of same-sex attraction. But those are just like ways to diminish. Like I'm gay. Like it's who I am. It's part of me. And I'm not experiencing certain feelings. This is just part of my identity and my makeup. And it was cool to see that someone was like recognizing that and, and, and not letting discomfort push away the topic. So it was like presented in a way that made them comfortable, but it was presented in a way that I was comfortable identifying with. That is a big move forward in the church culture, for sure. Because there's a lot of fear that accompanies being gay. And for someone who's scared to come out of the closet and let people know they're gay, what would you say to them? You took some really good steps, you know, seeking out trusted family members and friends and getting therapy. You did some really healthy things there. Yeah, it's funny looking back Every moment of progress I felt personally kind of came at the expense of coming out a little bit and letting someone in. So there was a huge element of vulnerability that had to be displayed in order for me to start a healing process and become more authentic. And I think it's scary to be vulnerable. It's scary to step into uncharted territory and not know what people are going to think or it's tough. I think that can also be tied into one of the basic principles of the gospel, which is faith. And 
having a hope in Christ and faith that as you pursue good things and seek a relationship with God and seek to be yourself and connect with others, even though you might grow in some thorny ground, like a really beautiful plant or tree or however you want to call it, can grow from that seed. And I think just a lot of timing as well. You don't have to do it all at once. I came out very slowly, almost in layers. And I would come out to a few people. And once I felt comfortable operating in that space and had like a core solid support system of people I knew I could trust and that I was loved with, then I could kind of add to that a little more and more until eventually I was like, you know what? I'm confident enough in myself that I honestly don't even really care about someone's reaction. And if it's negative or if I receive pushback, I am strong enough to withstand that knowing that I'm on the path for me. And so it does seem like a huge thing. And it is, honestly, it it is a big deal. But if you kind of break it down into parts, it's a lot more manageable. Yeah, that's a good, I like the idea of the layers, kind of establish some trusted relationships, build this safe circle around you. So when you have enough people in that circle, who cares what everyone else thinks? It's like a reverse onion. (laughs) (laughs) Good description. I like it. So I love how you used your talent as a gifted dancer to showcase that is Cosmo and that epic routine with the BYU Cougarettes. That went viral. That was, I think you've had millions of views. What, 32 million views on that or something? Gotten a lot. It's awesome. And how the success of that viral video helped bring more awareness to the LGBTQ school community when you decide to open up about being gay because everyone identifies with Cosmo, especially you, because you brought this cool element with the dance routines, with the cougarettes, and you used your authentic self to just, I mean, you just killed it. It was amazing. Thank you. I don't know how you were able to move so fluidly and perfect (laughs) synchronicity with the cougarettes in that suit, but you did it even with a backflip tumble. (laughs) (laughs) What? So how did you get the courage to just open up and stand up? Yeah, I think the courage to make the decision to come out publicly as Cosmo and as gay was something that was years in the making. It was kind of one of the final layers of the reverse onion, if you will. I'd been being prepared for a long time. And I had this interaction with a family during my senior year where I took pictures with this little fan. He was probably six years old. And his family was just kind of gushing about what a great role model I was as Cosmo. And he had posters of Cosmo in his room, and they just really hoped that their kid would grow up to be like me someday. And I remember thinking it was a gross, it was an intrusive thought, but it was a real thought. If this family knew who I really was, if they knew I was gay, would they let their son look up to me? Would they hate me? And I felt like the answer was, yeah, that they would. They, they would feel differently and wouldn't want their son to be like me because I was gay. And that was so, so sobering to think that this same community that was supporting me and almost like idolizing in a way, this Cosmo character and me when I wore the Cosmo mask was the same community that made me feel like I had to mask this other part of me, which is something I value and I think is a really important part of me. And it was so weird to think that the same people who loved me were also the people who hated me. Yeah, that's interesting. It's ironic, really. It was so ironic. And I graduated and I moved to New York City and I was living there for about a year. And I just could not stop thinking about that and that juxtaposition. And in the meantime, I'm watching my friends and people at large just really struggling to find a place in the community and like all these misconceptions flying around and 
And I had friends who would come out and were asked by their parents to not come home for Christmas. And that just like made me want to cry. And and I did cry. And I was like, how is everything so backwards? Like, where is love? Where is unity? Like, it was so interesting because I feel like we've grown up hearing about how Satan and the adversary attacks the family. And people think, people seem to think that one of the attacks is gay people, but to me, the attack is not accepting gay children and kicking them out and creating division in the home. And I was just watching that and just watching my friends become completely overwhelmed and unable to function because of the pressure. That is a really good distinction about how it's not being gay that breaks the family up. It's how the family reacts to the child being gay and being their authentic self in the way God created them. I really believe that that is the attack on the family. Yeah. Because I've watched it happen. It's happened to some of the people I'm closest to. And I was like, I have to do something. I have to come out. And, and I figured, I was like, you know what? If maybe there's a reason that I gained such a big platform as the mascot and everyone was still trying to figure out who was in the dance video and I'd never said anything about it. It was a, a tightly kept secret. But I was like, I felt inspired and I felt like God had given me that platform and, and allowed me to go viral. It sounds kind of weird, but God had allowed me to go viral so that I could have play a more important role beyond dancing in a suit and to take that to the next level and start having real conversations about faith and sexuality and trying to, to help people. That's so true. I mean, I think the Lord definitely used you and your visibility as Cosma to represent this broader gay community when you came out because people who would have probably not read an article about a gay student at BYU coming out might have read your article because you were Cosmo and they identified with that. Definitely. I think the shock factor was high. Yeah. In a good way, right? Yeah, I mean, the Lord's using you to bring hope and healing to your gay community. That's awesome. I mean, it's an incredible opportunity. You're blessed with a really great personality too that can identify and connect with people. And you have all these other gifts and talents and it just allows the church community to see, look at this stellar young man and he's gay and he's a great person and everyone worships him as Cosmo. So why should that change now? I think it's so great. So you were blessed to have a family that was supportive of you being gay. Sadly, many families are not supportive and they refuse to accept their child's sexual orientation. So what direction would you give these kids who are struggling for support and acceptance? I would say to just, well, I guess I kind of have like two conduits of advice. The first is for the short term, try to find people who love and appreciate and accept you and surround yourself with those people. That's going to be instrumental in personal growth and healing. And then also there's a the theoretical model about the stages of coming out. And basically it's like the ways there's six stages and I think it's Cass's model. I don't know. That's getting a little bit too scientific, but essentially it, it talks about like stages of self-hate and denial and all the way up through almost like a self-actualization and true authenticity. And for the most part, gay people tend to follow that pattern as they're coming to grips with themselves. And as I was looking at this model, it echoed the way that families and allies do the same thing. Like at the beginning, there's almost like a disgust or a denial. And then it grows to more of, okay, maybe this is not the worst thing, but it's not something I would have chosen. And so there is growth on the family side too. And you have to consider that when I came out to my dad, I was very aware of the fact that for 24 years, I had been thinking about this and mulling it over my brain and trying to find solutions and, and where I fit. And then as soon as I came out to him, I was at year 24 and he was at day one. And that there's going to be a curve. 
And my dad is wonderful and ended up riding that curve much quicker than I did. But there definitely had to be some patience and some just like a forgiving heart as I went through. And so I would say just keep conversations open, have the people that you trust, and don't give up on your family. Keep trying to be with them and communicate with them because most of the time people come around. Yeah, that's true. I mean, time heals a lot of things. So, and sometimes some people can kind of wrap their brain around it, depending on their intellectual capacity with certain things like this. And they can just kind of accept it readily. And then some people really need time. They need time to like let it marinate and to think it over and rationalize it out in their brain. And then kind of come to the point where they realize they want the relationship with their child. Is it worth losing the relationship of your child? No. I mean, nothing is worth that. So I was really struck too by your bad experience going to a gay party and how you face new challenges there. And I like the warning that you're giving because you had a gay friend that you were talking to about it when you called him after leaving the party. And he just said, just because you have the same orientation as someone doesn't automatically make them your kind of person. You have being gay in common with these guys, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have the same interests or goals. So how important it is, is it to be discerning with who your gay friends are, just like a heterosexual needs to be discerning with who their straight friends are? You want to speak to that? Yeah, for sure. I, I think these communities are, are polarized and it's very like you're in one and you're out the other and vice versa. I'm trying really hard to reject that narrative because it's really difficult. Um, but there is no, you can be gay and you can be righteous. Like there is... Like, you don't have to choose one or the other. At the same time, the cultures are very fixed. There are elements to LDS religious culture that are very fixed and I don't really fit in. And there are elements to gay culture that have kind of been solidified over years. And I also don't fit in those either. And so there was a time when I was like trying to jump in one pool or the other. And this is one of those times I kind of like tried to jump in the gay pool and make gay friends. And I realized that some of our like values and like personal goals and interests were different. And I felt a lot of pressure to conform to that. And I didn't like it. it. It felt wrong and it didn't feel authentic. And, and I think that's hard. And what a beautiful call to action to allies and friends and family members to provide a sense of support where someone can truly be themselves. And I can think of how much better it would have been if I would have gone to that party with a couple friends that I knew and trusted, like it would have been easier to leave a, and it would have been less jarring and I would have felt like less isolated and alone. And I don't think that's just gay culture, honestly. I don't think gay culture is some like horrible, gross, immoral thing, but there's less guidance. Like you have less frame of reference for who your group is when you're entering into a world that you've been hiding from for your whole life, or at least that's how I felt. Yeah. I mean, you go into any large group and you're going to have a diverse population of people with different mindsets, different personalities, and different goals. So you have to kind of sift through that, right? Yeah. And it was so much harder to sift on my own because I didn't really have any frame of reference for what it would even be like. And I felt insecure. I felt incredibly insecure and I just wanted to be liked. And it was also kind of like a good lesson in that a lot of times hurt people hurt people. And there's a lot of pain and rejection that has helped form in certain ways, the current gay culture. And kind of like, while it was drawing it originally, it, I now kind of feel a greater sense of compassion for people who were rejected and 
Like a lot of times people talk about a pendulum swing in Latter-day Saints who come out and then they jump off the deep end or have a pendulum swing in their moral values. And it does happen a lot. I watch it and I'm like, like, of course that happens because they're not feeling acceptance and and it makes you angry. It makes you want to lash out and throw everything away when something that claims to love you repeatedly rejects you. And so it was a hard lesson to learn, but hopefully by talking about it, other people won't have to learn it quite so, so frankly. Well, I like that you're transparent. Your book is very transparent and it only helps people. It helps parents be able to identify with their kids. It helps other gay kids be able to identify with their gay community and their feelings. I mean, it's just so good. And you talk about the danger of a binary mindset for yourself and others. Do you want to talk about that for a second? Yeah, I think some of the greatest examples of faith are people who have been called to the wilderness to navigate gray space. And I think even looking at the Book of Mormon, so much of it is allegorical stories of Nephi or the brother of Jared or Alma and Amulek who are commanded to do something so like crazy and so day to day. And so we have... Lehi and Nephi and their family leaving Jerusalem to travel through the wilderness to the promised land. And in order to get to the promised land, like there is this gray space, there is this, I don't know what I'm doing. There isn't really a right answer here. And I think if we negate that and we just stick to yes or no, it kind of limits our options. And for me, with my identity, it made me feel like I either had to give up half of myself or I had to give up the other half of myself. When in reality, those things aren't mutually exclusive. Like my orientation and my faith are not at odds with each other. In many ways, they complement each other and are whole as one. But society told me otherwise. And so as I was forcing myself into this yes or no mentality, I was overlooking the fact that I am a whole person and I don't need to choose church or gay. I just need to choose me. And and God needs me to move forward. Yeah. And to choose you. I just love, I want to circle back a little bit to your mission because it seems like you kind of found yourself on your mission or you're able to truly identify and be truly gay on your mission. You said, I love how your mission was such a positive experience that in, you even stated the first time you let yourself be truly gay was on your mission. Can you speak about your experiences? Yeah. I actually really loved that sentence because I figured people would just be like, what? What? (laughs) Like, was he dating a companion? Like, no. Yeah, what happened? (laughs) No, I wasn't. But what I mean by that is it was the first time I was able to live without a role superimposed on myself. Like, if you look at a missionary, like, they're not gay or straight or masculine or feminine. Like, they're just like an elder. And like, elders are kind of weird. Uniform that I wear. Like, you're almost expected to be a little bit like quirky because people get a little bit quirky on the mission. And under that kind of umbrella of expectations to just be someone who serves, I was able to serve as me in a way that I wasn't worried about if someone thought my handwriting was too girly or if someone thought I was crossing my legs and that looked gay at church or if the fact that I like decorating or plants or just really anything that like none of those are manly or girly, but society kind of has said that they are. But that was the first time I was able to just be me. And I realized that the more me I was, the more I was able to connect with people and the more people were coming to church and the more people were getting baptized because I wasn't trying to pretend I was somebody I wasn't. And it was almost like a crash course in authenticity that prepared me for then coming out later because I was able to live in this like beautiful 
bubble that was free from societal expectations. Totally. Like, I love how you were. I'm just going to read a few of these things because I just love it. It said, on the mission, you let members know you are a professionally trained cake decorator and used your skills to help members. And you kind of helped out. Didn't someone drop their wedding cake or something crazy happen? You stepped <laughs> in. Wedding cake, and it was a whole mess. Like everyone was freaking out. The wedding was ruined. The bride was sobbing. Oh like, we don't know what to do. And I was like, Elder Bird does. I was like, Y'all, where's the kitchen? <laughs> Give me a number 12 tip or something, didn't you say? Yeah. So I just, the whole part that had been damaged, I just like covered it in a cascade of buttercream roses. And it was honestly really beautiful. I was like, Oh, I did good. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, save the wedding. But that was something I probably wouldn't have done before because I was always so, like when I was working at a bakery as a cake decorator, I would hide when people I knew came in because I didn't want them to know that my job was making roses in an apron. If I was embarrassed. Well, I love that you wrote beautiful cards and you decorated apartments for the homesick missionaries and you potted plants and you did flips and cheer routines to entertain the kids at church gatherings. And you were just able to allow yourself to be totally authentic and use your gifts and talents. And I just think how liberating. It was. Yeah. And then that's another kind of testament to the original question about how being gay is more than sexuality and sex. Like I was not sexually involved with anyone on my mission. That even sounds like really weird to say because it just like sounds so preposterous to me for my experience. But I was being authentic and I wasn't worried about whether someone thought I was gay or not. And that made me better. Well, this has been so fun. I have just loved interviewing you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Is there anything else you'd like to share as we close out? I guess just that I'm grateful for the increased visibility and representation. I kind of feel weird. I don't want anyone to like hijack my story and try to put it on someone else or kind of use me as a poster child or some sort of like prescription of how to be. The reason I enjoy talking about this and and want my story to be shared is because I think visibility is so important and I look back to my childhood and I think of how beautiful it would have been if I had a role model or someone to at least say that person's kind of like me and they're doing okay. So that's really all I'm trying to be. And to anyone who wants to know more, there are resources. I wrote a book. Ben Shalati has a book. Tom Christofferson has a book. I do a podcast, Questions from the Closet. But I really think the best way to get exposure to this and, and to be a better ally is to focus on someone you know and love and don't hyper-focus on my story, but, but get to know their story and ask them. And I think you'll be really surprised at the ways you grow and become more like the Savior. Beautifully said. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I want to thank you for listening to the What Now podcast. We encourage you to share this episode with family, friends, and anyone you think it might help. Simply click on that share button wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to leave us a rating and review. Just follow the link in our bio for a tutorial on how to leave an iTunes review and comment. We read all your comments and it really helps us to grow. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching Podcast What Now. We never say goodbye, we say what now. Find out by tuning into our next podcast. This has been a What Now podcast production.